There's a monumental shift in power at work. Employees are speaking up, turnover is rising, salaries are increasing, hiring is tough, and burnout is real. It's time to unleash growth. It's time to transform your HR from powerless to powerful. Join ADP on February the 23rd. Reserve your spot now. Go to gettheplan.adp.com to register for the Work Interrupted Summit. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Get Out a Rat, making his second appearance. And this time, the first one on uh, on camera is John Devlin from Ascensos. Hi, John. Thanks very much for uh, coming back on. No, hi, Martin. I've uh, absolute pleasure. I've just there you go. Just to prove, yes, I've been on, I've been on before. <laughs> yes, and we we spoke at the uh, the expo. It's good to be back to face to face again, wasn't it? And said we've definitely definitely got to do another one of these. So I appreciate you giving up your time because you've been jetting all over the world it seems yeah uh, when was that we met in london and uh, november, november? God, yeah. it seems uh seems only yesterday that we're almost uh, three months into that already isn't it amazing that it's uh, february already and uh yeah things are, are looking up in the world i think i don't know anyone else's opinion but it feels as if uh, everything's a bit more positive as we face into the spring uh, and the year ahead looks uh pretty bright all round yeah and even getting some foreign travel in martin so just come back from uh visiting our operations in cape town last week first time we've been able to get out there since we we opened there last year uh, and long may it continue that we get the opportunity to uh, to travel and meet some of our colleagues in, in some of the, uh, the other territories we now operate in you guys have always got such a, a, a like a team spirit how how was it going to see Cape Town in, in person for the first time, and how do you how do you kind of replicate that um, that esprit de corps that you guys always seem to have? Yeah, uh, you know what you go out there and it's just there, you know, and you kind of think, well, how how is that? How does that just magically happen that they seem to have already adopted the same approach, the same style, the same culture uh, as? as our uh, long-tenured uh, colleagues have. But yeah, they just seem to get it, you know, and uh, as soon as I arrived there, it was the most warm welcome, you know, lovely people, you know, just right on brand and right on message with, uh, you know, the, the A-team spirit we like to create in the business. And they, they just love it, you know, like uh, the, even though I've not met them in person, I'd met them, uh, all the guys there several times, obviously over Teams and Zoom, et cetera. Uh, but they've done, done so much homework and so much research into who we are and uh, how we operate and what the secret sauce is of our business. Uh, and they just get it. It felt like walking into one of our long-established operations uh, for the very first time. It was it was wonderful. And how long were you there? Well, uh, I wish I'd stayed longer. Uh, it was a schoolboy error. Uh, I went out on Monday and had to fly back Friday overnight uh, uh, I just wish I stayed at the weekend and just had time maybe to to see more of uh, what Cape Town and what the, the area and the Western Cape has to offer. But I'll get back there. But uh, yeah, I had some pressing stuff to get back to in the UK. And just when I got back into the UK after a, uh, a faultless visit, uh, I was delayed at Heathrow making my connection to Edinburgh because there was some storms in Scotland on Saturday morning. Uh, so that was a bit of a pain after a four or five days it was almost uh, uh, kind of flawless yeah so uh, close <laughs> uh, just typical isn't it you know you get back into the UK and things grind uh, to a bit of a halt <laughs> <laughs> welcome home <laughs> exactly that's how it felt you know and, uh, and you're not you're, you might not even get home today you know that, that, that was the message so how um because this as well as um Cape Town you also went to somewhere very close to to my heart and you you um you have a venture in turkey now as well yeah we've got uh, again mid-pandemic but a year earlier uh, in the summer of 2020 we we opened up in uh, in istanbul uh, martin uh, it was our first uh, operations there uh, albeit we have the the office in istanbul most of the team are, are, are working from home and have been uh, since day one uh, and we've now expanded into Antalya uh, as well. It's another 300-seat uh, uh, operation in Antalya. 
So we've now got two hubs uh, in Turkey, going really, really well. Again, a wonderful country. I know you've spent some time there. I was last out there in spring, oh, sorry, September of 2019 uh, and not been able to set foot in the country since. Uh, so again, it's very weird. You know, we've got over 300 colleagues uh, in, in Turkey at the moment. Uh, I've not been able to go out and uh, shake anyone by the hand or uh, sit with a coffee with anyone. Uh, over that period, so just really odd circumstance, but we move ahead regardless, you know, and it's a great thing about a census is we've got a relentless ambition, a relentless energy, and we don't let things like the pandemic get in the way. Yeah, well, I, I want to ask you so much about Turkey, but firstly, <laughs> what, um, for the sort of global BPO market and the decisions to um, set up locations What's the what's the main driver and the thinking behind that? Well, for us, we're we looking for more uh, delivery flexibility on a global basis, you know, so we can serve uh, global brands, uh, you know, and be more accessible for for those global brands, regardless of where they're based. So even though we're now in UK, Eastern Europe, uh, and South Africa, we won't stop there. You know, we've got an ambition to to really uh, serve on a global basis. Uh, we're never going to compete with the big tier one providers, you know, for sure, you know, and uh, with no intention of competing in that space. We we, uh, we swim in our own lane, you know, and, uh, you know, we're, we're pretty comfortable uh, with that. But we do need to have the capability, uh, you know, and the reach that some of those global players have. We use the, the phrase uh, born local, growing global, and that very much kind of sums up uh, a sense of, you know, that we'll never lose the DNA in the heart of being a, a a Scottish business, but we're we're taking that model out into a kind of global reach now. Obviously, we can access uh, different talents and different skills in different uh, areas of the world. We use Turkey extensively to access German language capability, uh, and it serves the German market very well uh, from Turkey. And obviously, now with uh, what has been in Cape Town, that serves the English-speaking uh, markets very well from from a price point and a scale perspective. And bear in mind, uh, in the UK in the last year or so, there has been some pressures on the labour market. I think we've all seen that, we've all recognised that uh, and, and, and had to respond to that in different ways. Uh, and we've used our nearshore and offshore operations in order we can still meet the demand of our clients and scale up and grow the business uh, despite of some of the constraints that were here in the local UK market. Does it... Um... Does it energize you though, even though you're saying you're like kind of you stay in your lane and tier one, do you still think, right, well, we can't match them on this, but we're gonna be creative here, or we're gonna we're gonna try and steal a march doing something different? Is it kind of is it a mo motivational factor? Yeah, for sure. You know, I'm a, I'm a pretty competitive person, you know, and I, I like the uh, the champion challenger approach, and I like the David versus Goliath, it's always been in my my DNA anyway and personally that gives me uh, some motivation you know for us to kick on again and you know ensure that uh, we don't uh, allow the big guys to have it all their own way uh, you know and, and we're a, a reasonably sized business now I, I, we're no longer a, a small uh, an SME we're a, a reasonably sized business but we'll, we'll never be in that uh, airport hangar or factory uh, scale industrial scale uh, one size fits all approach that some of the, the larger scale BPOs have. We'll always remain independent. We'll always have that agility, that flexibility that uh, an independent owner managed business can bring. Uh, and it keeps me grounded and keeps the leadership team in our business grounded, you know, that we are still very much uh, hands on in contact and connected with the, the guys who make the money for the business and deliver the service for our clients, the guys at the, the front end. When you, um, when you interact with, um, so you're in Turkey, I've got to ask, did you have Turkish coffee or Turkish tea? Coffee, yeah. Okay. And, we, you know, the small ones, you could literally oh, like, put the stick listen, up. I mean, I, I like coffee, but I can't drink coffee after midday. Uh, otherwise, I'm up all night, you know, and I've realised this about 10 years ago, that I used to get palpitations in the evening and I wouldn't sleep very well in it. I always wondered what it was. Was it me getting older? Was it uh, the pressures of work? It was coffee. Yeah. <laughs> it, it was coffee. And uh, on a trip with Ralph Lorne out to Italy once, I drank far too many espressos, you know, uh, right through to midnight. And uh, I, I actually thought I was going to have to go to Aerie. Uh, <laughs> and, and it was coffee that was causing it. Uh, so now I 
scaled back massively. I still have a few coffees in the morning, uh, but cannot drink coffee any later than lunchtime. Uh, and in Turkey, it's probably one coffee was my quota for the day. They were so strong. I love them so much. My, mine is always espresso. So getting out to Turkey and Turk Cafe Sade, if I remember some of my Turkish, is the one without sugar. And they showed me how to make it. And every meeting you were offered it. And um, like you, I went, I went back to my accommodation in the evening. And yeah, like I, I thought there's something in my heart. I've got a problem with my heart. And um, the next day after a horrible night, I went, I was talking to some of the Turkish friends that I'd made. And they were saying, wait a minute, how many coffees did you have yesterday? And I'd had about seven. Oh. And they were saying, well, <laughs> you, no wonder you thought yeah. you were going to end up in hospital. You can't drink that much. So yeah, lesson, lesson learned. But yeah, no, I mean, I, it was my first trip to Turkey. Actually, I hadn't even been in Turkey on holiday. I know, I know a lot of uh, Brits go out to Turkey on holiday, but I'd never done that. Uh, and straight into Istanbul and, and all this uh, kind of perception of Midnight Express and all that good stuff. Uh, and it couldn't have been further from the truth. It was such yeah. an amazing city, you know, such a, yeah. uh, you know, a, a brilliant city with uh, a bit like London, you know, lots of small communities and small villages throughout the city. And, yeah. you, you know, no matter where you go, you get a different perspective uh, on on Istanbul life and Turkish life. I just fell in love with it uh, instantly, you know, and uh, I can't wait to go back. Well, it was my my home for two and a half years, Istanbul, and um, yeah. Oh, you know much better than I will then. Yeah, yeah. Well, weirdly, so I um, I was out there initially only on a three month. It was meant to be three months, and I ended up staying for two and a half years. But um, yeah, Istanbul, I, I absolutely loved it. But I still, even though the weekends were my own, and I would just go and discover. Um, in that time, you still didn't. I think go to 50% of it. It was like you yeah. say, it's just such a, a myriad of um, places. It is uh, amazing. But it got to the point where, so I was working for an American company and they would, oft, people would often come over and they kind of knew I was the, like kind of the Englishman there. And I became some like unofficial tour guide. It became accepted that they would stay at the weekend and one of the days, I would take them and, and see the sites, but it got to the point where towards the end of my stay there, I'd done it so many times. I was like, yeah, that's the Galata Tower. Well, when was it built? Oh, just 17th century. I was yeah. the most un uninterested tour guide ever. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, I can imagine, you know, if you stay there for a length of time, you actually just become immersed in it, you know, just yeah. it's so uh, absorbing. Our office is actually just across the Bosphorus, you know, so we are, mm. we're on the Asian side, you know, and I always like to say that we're uh, we're in three continents now, Europe, Asia yeah, and Africa. Yeah, that's correct, you can, yeah, you're absolutely <laughs> Yeah, officially can, it is. Yeah. yeah, officially it is, albeit, you know, it still feels very European, uh, you know, when you're in, uh, in the city itself. Certainly Antalya, you know, is, uh, is very much, you know, east uh, and uh, very much part of that, uh, that next phase of our development, you know, and access is a different type of uh, talent there. You know, we, a lot of people go to Antalya for uh, uh, the Mediterranean lifestyle it brings, you know, and the, the warm weather in the, in the winter as well. And we've got a lot of Northern European employees there, you know, Scandinavian, Dutch employees uh, who have chosen to go and live in Antalya and then they work with us, you know, as some income, you know, to, to support their, yeah. uh, their hobby or their life out in that area. So it works really, really well. Do you think that kind of um, way of working lends itself to being a top performer in a, a contact centre? You know, maybe it's part-time, maybe it's something that you do to support other side hustles or your, or your lifestyle? I think so, yeah, because I mean, we always look for brand ambassadors or fans of brands, you know, to, to, to work with us, you know, so... Uh, yeah, the guys who choose to join us aren't really joining us, you know, just for the the means to the end for the income. They're joining us because of the brands that we represent and because the the, the work life balance it allows them to access at that point. So it means they are a little bit uh, more connected to the brand, connected to the business. Uh, dare I say, a bit uh, uh, more loyal uh, and more engaged, you know, in, in terms of the job that they are uh, delivering. And that's exactly what we've seen in terms of employee metrics and KPIs. 
is that the guys there uh, don't have the, the level of churn, et cetera, you might expect to see in a conventional, typical contact centre. It really uh, supports our uh, census local model that we launched last year as well, which is smaller contact centre hubs uh, that, that act as recruitment centres, onboarding centres, collaboration centres, uh, and uh, and also a drop-in hub that you can work in the office on a hybrid basis if that's what you choose to do. But predominantly, you'll be working from home around the hub. So we don't need a thousand seats. We, you know, most of the guys are working from home, but they do have the choice to check into the office, meet their manager, meet their team there once a week. And it also allows the local community to connect with the Ascensos brand there. Whereas if you were on a, a pure play work from home basis, your, your employees could be 100 kilometres, 500 kilometres from the nearest office. We don't think that works because we want the engagement with our team uh, you know, and the Ascensors business. So the Ascensors local model was to put these city centre, town centre hubs in locations we typically wouldn't be in. Uh, and that really that works really, really well. Sounds fascinating. Is it like um, so you've created your own version of like a WeWork type? location or well hopefully we'll, we'll lose as much money as those guys do <laughs> <laughs> uh, i can there's there's one that i use it's local called desk lodge um but i just thought uh, there's we work yeah, I mean, the uh, <laughs> we started it in scotland last summer uh again it was a way for us to take a census out to maybe underserved peripheral uh, locations uh, in the uk we set up two locations in the southwest of Scotland, in Stranraer and in Dumfries, uh, and uh, small offices in the town centre, but right in the heart of the centre. The community, community can see that we are an employer in town, not just someone who's recruiting uh, remotely through Indeed or on Facebook, etc. cetera. Uh, and it means that the town feels connected to us and we are investing in the town not just employing in the town but we're actually investing back into the the hub of the town uh, the lifeblood of the town so it worked really well uh, and we've extended that now into uh, northern ireland we just uh, announced you know our, our plans to launch in northern ireland uh, we've identified a, a location just outside of belfast in in lisbon uh, and we're going to roll out uh, our presence in Northern Ireland uh, on a uh, on a three hub basis, you know, and uh, hopefully over the next three years, create up to five or six hundred jobs, predominantly working from home, but across the, the Northern Ireland region. You've obviously this. You've got so much going on. How how has the market changed for you then during the um, the pandemic? Well, obviously we we serve the retail space uh, and the the. Uh, consumer uh, space you know a lot of retailers had to pivot really quickly towards e-commerce uh, you know and online obviously most of them were doing that anyway but as stores closed or stores were limited in what they could do uh, more and more of the sales and more and more of their trading had to move online we were in a great place you know obviously to uh, to support that uh, that's primarily what a sense of us have set up to do is to serve the online activity of, of retailers and consumer facing organizations. Uh, and uh, we also had the benefit, Martin, of being a young business, you know, where our IT and technology stack, and our connectivity was only put together seven years ago. Uh, it was all based in the cloud. It was completely set up for a hub and spoke model in any case, albeit we thought that hub and spoke model would be a central data center in the UK and contact centers spread across Europe. We've now got 3,000 contact centers yeah. in each individual's home uh, across yeah. Europe, you know, so, but the, the premise of it still worked the same, you know, the, uh, the ability for us to, to roll that model out into the work from home environment, uh, we were able to do relatively easily. I know my IT guys would probably hang me for saying that because of a lot of heavy lifting for them logistically, you know, and getting kit uh, out to, uh, to our teams, et cetera, but comparatively to maybe some of the other uh, BPOs who have got legacy systems, uh, we were able to do it uh, relatively elegantly and quickly. How, but yeah, um, I, mean, I mean, our business has grown uh, through the pandemic, you know, by uh, by 100%. We've doubled the size of a census, you know, in the last two years, you know, and uh, a lot of that is supporting our existing client base, but a lot of new 
client wins as well, you know, who have had to move very quickly to set up support for their online activity. You, am, am I right in summarising what you said earlier then around um, the Essentials local model setting up these hubs is with a view that um, eventually it's going to be more of a split, but you really see that there needs to be this kind of central location for the to deliver the best results. So that it, we shouldn't all just rush to stay at home, but there's there's a there's a halfway there's a halfway house. Is it more that it should yeah, be? I mean, that, that's back? my view. You know, I know there are, there are uh, alternative views out there. You know, uh, and whether it's hybrid working, it's uh, it's pure play work from home or not. My own view is. Uh, Part of the secret sauce of a census is the connection we've got with the communities that we operate in, and I don't really want to to lose that, you know. And I think it's it's incumbent on me and on our business anyway, or maybe any business, to invest in the communities that you operate within and put something back into that community, yeah. you know. So for me to have employees in Aberdeen or employees in in Leeds that are nowhere near any of our offices just doesn't sit well with me. Mm. Uh, but it's quite easy for me to spin up a small local town centre office in those locations mm -hmm. uh, that we can, as I said, use for recruitment, use for onboarding, for training, retraining, for engagement, uh, for team activities uh, and for one-to-ones and coaching with your manager. Uh, it works really, really well, you know, and I'm... Uh, I'm probably giving some of our secrets away to others, you know, who who would want to uh, to do similar. But everyone's got their own take on it as to you know what the the workplace of the future looks like. Uh, I definitely think uh, there will be some people who want to permanently work at home. There'll be some who have always wanted to come back to the office, and maybe some who have never left the office. Uh, but the the hub model uh, that we are creating, uh, I think, has got a part to play in that mix. I love it. I, I, I'm with you. I think we jettison um, the impact on the community and just the, the the essence of working in a contact centre, the vibe and the buzz. I mean, most people that have come on um, the podcast and have spoken about why they stayed in the industry after kind of falling into it by accident is because of the atmosphere. And we, I think we we distance ourselves from that at our own peril as an industry. You know, it's kind of, there, there can be a nice medium um, that still maintains that. Because I think about all the people that have joined. I love the concept that their their, their homes are now contact centres. But um, you think about the people that have entered our industry for the first time and might not have experienced what real team spirit and camaraderie and the atmosphere that you can get in a, in a really vibing centre. Um, how long are they going to stay doing the job? Well, exactly. And as I said, you know, even in Cape Town last week, you just see that firsthand, you know, how important that is, you know, that energy, that electricity that exists between teams and between you know, colleagues who can collaborate, uh, you know, and generate ideas together. And it's still one of my, uh, you know, I've been in this industry for 25 years now or so, Martin. And one thing that's never changed is, is that we, we haven't yet uh, broken the dynamic of, of people uh, wanting a career in contact centres, you know, there, there isn't anyone, I think, you know, and I could be wrong and maybe people will, will correct me, but I don't think anyone leaves school, leaves college, leaves university university to say, I want to have a career in, in the BPO industry or in the contact centre business. You, know, you you fall into it by by chance or by uh, by default or, or even uh, mistakenly fall into it or, it's a means to an end and then it, it blossoms into something different. But it, I think that's, it, it, it's rather embarrassing, I think, you know, after yeah. uh, 25 years, we've done so much in our industry that we're still not creating uh, careers for, for people, you know, uh, for young kids uh, who want to see their career blossom uh, in the contact centre space, certainly not in this country. You go to Romania, Turkey, and South Africa, maybe a bit different because the, the, the job is held in a higher regard. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, I think as an industry, and it's something I've spoken uh, to the guys uh, at the CCMA about, uh, is, you know, we can't be satisfied with that. We can't be satisfied that people only join our industry 
almost as a second choice or because they, they, yeah. they can't uh, access their, their own career of choice. And I think collectively it's something we need to focus on because there probably isn't any other industry in the UK that that's the case. You know, people want to work in engineering, they want to work in, uh, in architecture, they want to work in hospitality. Uh, you never go into any school, they never say, I want to work in a contact centre. You know, and I think someone, and I'm happy to get involved in that, but we need to address that at some point. I'm, I'm right behind you. I'm, I'm evangelical about this. It's, I love to hear that um, because I, part of the reason for putting the podcast together, to be honest with you, was around we miss a trick and so when we when i read about um we're losing we're, we're losing entrance like our our front level our specialists that are going to be on the phones we're losing them even more so than we did in the past to retail to um, restaurants and we just don't do enough pr to say there isn't a better industry for being promoted quickly for learning about customers for learning if whatever the whatever the um, field is that you're passionate about you can come in do well on the phones for a very short period of time and go into finance go into training go into planning going to operational leadership and progress really really quickly it's i must i probably drive my our daughters insane because i will say to them it it isn't boring you know, you really want to understand. There's a guy, what's his name? There's a monumental shift in power at work. Employees are speaking up. Turnover is rising. Salaries are increasing. Hiring is tough. And burnout is real. It's time to unleash growth. It's time to transform your HR from powerless to powerful. Join ADP on February the 23rd. Reserve your spot now. Go to gettheplan.adp.com to register for the Work Interrupted Summit. He's just the youngest person to go on Dragon's Den, Stephen Bartlett, I think. Oh, um, yeah, yeah, I know what I mean, yeah. He's, he said being on the phones taught him a lot about uh, that he uses now as a CEO. And it's that, like a one-off positive story about our, our industry in terms of the impact it can have. You know, it taught him resilience. It taught him really about... Um, developing strategies for customers when he knows that he spoke to hundreds in you speak to hundreds by the end of the week you've spoken to more customers than a lot of senior leaders will have done in years you know yeah. so I, i'm i'm right behind you on well, that I mean, we, we don't market it well enough you know we, we, no. we absolutely do not you know and uh, I've got my, my two oldest kids my two sons you know both work in a sensor show and uh, both graduates matthew was a graduate and economics and politics uh, michael and geography matthew's now a digital transformation project manager for us and michael's an hr business partner you know so they've they've created careers doing yeah. not what they, they they thought they would set out to do and, and they love it you know and uh, but I, I can imagine that anyone else in their university groups uh, won't have said i see my future uh, and i've got an aspiration to work in contact yeah. centers absolutely no chance yeah. you know there's any university student who's got an aspiration to to work uh, in the contact center industry and we need to change that i think it's as i said after 25 years uh, that situation hasn't improved uh, you know in my experience and uh, we really need to do something about that we need these uh, jobs in our industry are well-paid jobs uh, you know and you say can turbocharge your career uh, you know, not just in the, the vertical you, you operate in, but in many different uh, uh, skill sets. We need to do more about selling that. And I think your point around community, I, I've worked in cities where you were known as a good employer because you were very, very much on the front foot getting involved in local schools, local charities, doing doing things, utilising the the energy and the power of the people in the in the contact centre, and you were seen as a nice place to be and a good place to work. But it certainly didn't manifest. It doesn't. It doesn't. That doesn't spread like nationally in terms of a, a, like you say a career of choice, and mm. it 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 really should. So, well, maybe maybe, maybe we should do something about it. Maybe yeah, maybe we get we get some like minded people together and we do something about it because you know. There has to be a legacy for us, you know, in terms of 
how we not just improve our business and maybe improve the perception of contact centers within the market, but how we create a legacy for the future, you know, for uh, for uh, careers, you know, for kids going forward, you know, and uh, I, I would love, you know, for some like-minded people to get together and do something about that. Well, maybe this is it. We've got recorded evidence. This could be the birth of something then. <laughs> well, why not? Yeah, why not? I would love because to. I don't think you'll find anyone out there who would disagree. You know. Correct. You know, and I think it's that kind of careers fair mentality. I remember doing that um, again because we needed recruitment in this um, outsource where I was working at. And we went to careers fairs and it was the first sort of opportunity to say, you can work in any one of these disciplines if you're numerically minded. Yes, you start on the phones, but you learn some real key skills there. And then you could be in finance. You could do this. You could do that. Um, and I think that's the kind of thing that we need to we need to think, how do we do that? And given, given the emphasis on emotional intelligence and um, empathy and trying to treat frontline people more as a like a, as professionals that they are is is definitely part of that as well we kind of overlook what they do too often i think still and that is terrible yeah and i was talking to someone about this last week you know that why why bpo and outsourcing is exciting you know because sometimes again even in the contract center space you know, there's two tiers of the in-house operations, you know, I've seen maybe to be a bit more, a bit more prestigious and then the, the outsourcing operations. But in outsourcing, I, mean, I don't run a contact centre. I mean, we run 24 different contact centres for yeah. 24 different clients, all with different objectives, all with different structures around them, all very bespoke and uh, their design and the way that they're delivered. And that offers careers, you know, because... Yeah. We don't just have, you know, a, a, a kind of blinkered approach to how we do things. We've got to think about how we deliver differently for, for 24 different businesses' objectives. Uh, you know, and that stimulates the creativity and stimulates talent and stimulates, you know, energy and excitement. You know, and I think even within the contact centre space, the outsourcing businesses and the BPO sector is a, a, a massively exciting space to, to operate within. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I remember telling team leaders that joined um, the outsourcer, you'll never be bored. I can, I can guarantee you that. You'll, <laughs> yeah, you'll, that's for sure. you'll, yeah. you'll never be bored. Uh, and, and obviously that was, that's, was right. Um, for you personally, how have you, would, could you say that um, this period of the pandemic's changed you at all? Yeah, yeah, I mean, absolutely. You know, I was uh, reflecting this with uh, Dermot, our chairman, uh, over uh, over a beer uh, only recently, you know how it's affected everyone. You know in terms of how we operate, how we engage, you know how we uh, how we behave uh, as individuals. But yeah, certainly for me, uh, you know it, I've connect. I spent a lot more. I spend a lot more time with my family now uh, and my dog. Uh, you know, and uh, that's good. You know because I found a different way of working, a different work life balance. You know beforehand. I was shoulder to the, the wheel constantly, you know, never two days in, uh, in the same place, you know, and uh, always living out a bag uh, in a hotel room, uh, you know, and uh, shipped it past in the night with my wife and my kids and stuff, you know, and uh, now I spend a lot more time with my family and I feel better uh, as a result of that. I have no intention of going back to the way it was, you know, of, of you know, being on that uh, hamster wheel constantly, you know, I don't think... Uh, there's a need for that. I think we've found another way of working now that's completely acceptable. You can still get the job done. Yeah. Uh, in our business, there's no at all, no sense of presenteeism exists. Uh, maybe that did exist beforehand, but maybe it's in the, the UK works, work mm. psyche uh, to mm. some extent, you know, that mm. the boss is there, you're there, and there's a presenteeism. Not any longer because uh, I'm, they, they don't know what day I'm going to be in the office and what day I'm not going to be in. Yeah. And likewise, uh, I've no idea what they, the team are going to be in, but the job gets done because it's done on, a, on an outcome basis now rather than on a time basis. And that, surely that's a healthier place to be, you know, that uh, we can go for a, a walk when the sun's shining rather than getting home in the dark and then going for a walk in, in the evening. Surely that's a healthier place for us all to be, that you can have the dog sitting beside you during the day and, uh, you know, it takes the stress away. All that stuff is hugely important. And uh, I've definitely 
maybe others would say differently, but I feel as if I'm a better human being now yeah. <laughs> uh, as, a, as a result of what we've learned through the pandemic. Uh, others may think differently. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I totally agree. I can remember um, being one of five managers and we were in a call centre and uh, it was a Thursday or Friday night, I think, and people were coming over going, is the director, is the director still here? Yeah, well, we're going to have to stay. We're going to have to stay yeah. then, aren't we? You know, so I, yeah, that, I'm... And that's, that's pretty sad, isn't it? You know, yeah. uh, you know that's, that's not what it should be about. It should be about achieving the outcomes that the, the, the project or the, the task or the job uh, is set out to do, you know. So let's, uh, let's measure those things. Let's focus on those things rather than the number of minutes and hours that people put in. How does that... Um, one of the things I was thinking with that, because I'm... I'm again in complete agreement around uh our, our way of working is outdated in terms of pre-pandemic it's victorian-esque in terms of um how we should work whereas now it kind of it's thankfully been opened up to like you say it's about your output how does that translate to frontline advisors though yeah i mean that's that's a bit more difficult isn't it you know when to to achieve outcomes for customers you have to have planning around that you have to have you know the structure around about service levels and mm. uh, opening hours and coverage all of that science of how you run a contact center you know and i like to separate the the left and the right a little bit uh, in the contact center the science and the art of it you know and but there has to be a science that underpins it you know in terms of the the planning uh, the the maths you know the uh, making sure you've got the right resources aligned uh, to times of day and uh, days of the week and weeks of the month, etc. So for customer-facing advisors, uh, there has to be a, a sense of being logged on and ready at the right time, uh, you know, and able to meet the uh, the objectives of, of the job at that point. But again, they can still do that with a with a dog at their feet, and they can still yeah. do that, you know, with uh, you know, their kettle and their cup of tea rather than having to go to the vending machine and still do it, you know, uh, with the sun streaming through their window rather than being in the middle of the, the contact centre some, someplace. Or they can choose to do it one day in the office and one day uh, at home, you know, if, and we get this all the time, uh, you know, there's someone coming to look at the boiler, you know, uh, so can I have half an hour uh, of my shift adjusted or shifted uh, slightly so I can speak to the engineer that's going to, uh, to see my boiler. Yes, that's pretty easy to do that. If you're in the contact centre environment, then the individual has to take a half day or a day to do yeah. that because, you know, they, they can't just work around the guy chapping the door and uh, making their, their shift slide that, that little bit to, to accommodate that. So I think even, you know, for our customer-facing advisors who do have to follow a bit more of a regimented approach to their work, there still is far more flexibility, yeah. you know, as a result of the way we work now compared to how we would have been working two or three years ago. And what, what excites you about the future then, both for Ascensos and for yourself? Well, in Ascensos, we're still on very much the front foot, you know, about, uh, about expanding our business, you know, about making sure that we do uh, truly build a world-class business. And I don't mean... Uh, a world scale business uh, there's a, you know, a distinct difference between world class and scale uh, but we, I want a sense of us to have the best reputation in the market and be the best at what we can do uh, I'm a big, as you know Martin I'm a big fan of football and sport you know and uh, I always think in, in terms of sporting analogies for things and football analogies you know and uh, great leaders or great football managers in my mind, you know, the ones that get people motivated to get teams organised, uh, you know, they can, uh, they can achieve maybe something that's uh, greater than the sum total of its parts just through their leadership style and uh, through their capabilities. You know, I think there's, uh, there's an ability for a, a small or smaller business like uh, Ascensos, you know, to be world champions, you know, I think uh, that's achievable in the in the field of sport and in the field of business. You know, it doesn't necessarily always have to be the the, the biggest that wins. You know, whether that's yeah. Leicester Leicester City yeah. or it's uh, anyone else. You know, who has aspirations of of winning that silver or winning that trophy. 
uh, a sense of can be that challenger to the champions, you know, and uh, that inspires me. It inspires me to to lead teams, you know, through that successful uh, period, you know, and, and that growth period. And I think, you know, the the for our industry, uh, and hopefully then as a result of that, for a sense of. There's a huge opportunity for us to transform what we do, you know, with uh, through technology and through the application of autonomous CX going forward to uh, our partnership in South Africa is with a, an autonomous CX specialist called Digital Tribe based in Cape Town. And we are now looking to uh, smash you know, their capability together with ours to get a really powerful combination of human and autonomous uh, talent you know, as, we, as we roll the business uh, Follow out. So yeah, I mean, I'm hugely enthused about the future for our sector, uh, and hopefully, you know, that means uh, if a census can be a star player in our sector, then we can grow and be successful as well. I was going to say I don't want to put words in your mouth, but you're basically saying like a census are like Tottenham, just a great team. Uh, <laughs> Is that what I meant to say instead of Leicester City? I meant to say Tottenham. Well, I know. So, I know the problem is the moment I say it, I open myself up to abuse about Tottenham not winning a trophy for so many years. You want to win more trophies than Tottenham, but um, what? Who do you support, by the way? Uh, I grew up as a Celtic supporter. Uh, you know, and oh, great uh, result the other night. Then my first love uh, is Celtic. You know, and obviously being in uh, in Scotland, you know that. That comes with uh, a lot of uh, risk. Saying that, you know, for uh, from the, from the other side, when you have a bad day or an off day, obviously at the moment with our result uh, on on Wednesday evening, then uh, then yes, uh, you know, the Celtic, the green side of Glasgow is smiling. Uh, so Celtic was always my first love. Yeah, I've got another love, you know, a, a much lower league team called Albion Rovers. Uh, you know, who are a, a, a tier four team in the Scottish pyramid. You know, and. Uh, I was a director and the chairman of Albion Rovers. Uh, you know, was, really? Yeah, yeah, it was a privilege, yeah, you know, to be on the board there and uh, and serve as chairman there as well. I no longer do it. You know, when a census uh, kind of kicked on in 2014, 2015, uh, I couldn't do both because uh, it was pretty much a voluntary activity in these lower league clubs. But uh, it was brilliant because it was in the town that I kind of had grown up in, uh, and. You just see a different, uh, a different life, you know, for, uh, how a, a small business, a, a truly small business operates, a business with a turnover of £250,000 and a fan base, a core fan base of 400 or 500 diehards, uh, you know, uh, they, they do live on a day-to-day -day existence, you know, yeah. and, uh, mm. but it, it's brilliant, it's been around since 1882, you know, uh, they've got an, an old stadium that was built you know, or opened in Christmas Day in 1919, you know, and one of the oldest uh, stadiums still standing in, in, in British football. Yeah, and just remarkable how they still survive despite everything, despite the pandemic, despite a lack of success, despite not having a big fan base and, you know, having to uh, live, you know, on the edge uh, every season, really. Uh, they still survive, you know, and uh, they've got a real loyal core group of volunteers, supporters, uh, and the people who run the club as well, you know, are all remarkable individuals, you know, so it's, uh, I love that. I love lower league football. Uh, you know, I, I've got a real soft spot for grassroots football. Uh, I coached, uh, you know, a, a boys club for 10, 12 years, you know, and uh, loved every minute of that on a Saturday morning and down there and putting the cones out and doing all the drills, you know, and, and uh, I was the treasurer of the club as well. You know, it's the kind of thing that anything with football related, you know, yeah. I, I'm, I'm happy to get involved in it. You know, anything yeah. football related, you know, it's uh, it's my absolute passion. <laughs> yes, it's absolutely the same. I think we've talked about it before. I coach my, um, my daughter's team and it's just everything about putting the training plans together, the results, everything. But... Um, now you were a player, so when you were chairman, did you not kind of think about muscling yourself into the starting eleven? Oh, way too old by that stage. <laughs> no, come on. <laughs> no, way too old by that stage, you know. And uh, yeah, no, never that uh, at that level either. You know, the you kind of think when you're involved in football, uh, you look at even these semi pros that we had on the books uh, that you know 
I can do that. You can't, you know, they, they, they're at a completely different level to, to you're at. Even in a training session or a bounce match, you know, you can see just the difference in touch and the difference in uh, pace that they move at, you know, and uh, you're, we're, we're fooling ourselves, both you and I, fooling ourselves if you think you can you can actually compete with a, a pro or a semi-pro. It's a whole different league. Uh, but yeah, I still play five-a-sides, you know, uh, and the odd 11-a-side game uh, for charity. But play five-a-sides uh, every Monday evening uh, in the business. Uh, I'm the oldest player uh, by a stretch, I would think. You know, I've got a lot of young guys in their 20s and 30s playing with us. Uh, very competitive, you know. But yeah, I, I like to put my foot in and, uh, you know, I, I like to, to think that, I'll still be playing when I'm 60 as well, Martin. You know, I have no no plans to get give up. Despite the fact you get injuries much easier, it takes yeah. longer to to recover from the injury. Uh, I like nothing better uh, than uh, looking forward to a Monday night, you know, and getting the uh, getting the boots on, and getting stuck in at the five sides. Yeah, mine is Thursday Thursday night and um, Sundays. But so today I'm I'm hobbling about and. Um, Bev has often questioned how many, how long are you going to keep playing, trying to play twice a week? Or, and I've just, I'm like, I'm fine. I'm, I'm fine. I'm, I'm like you. I've got to just keep going for as long as, oh, I mean, long as possible. Yeah. I mean, it, it really, it does keep me going. You know, and uh, when the, the football was suspended at some points during the mm. lockdown, oh, that was depressing. Yeah, you know, it was. Yeah. I, I really, I really missed, uh, you know, the, uh, mm. the football during that period. Uh, so uh, hopefully you know, we can keep playing uh, and avoid any serious injuries. But it is uh, it's usually competitive, you know. And the guys that that play uh, just because I'm the boss, that doesn't stop them. <laughs> in fact, I'm, I'm sure it encourages <laughs> them even more. <laughs> we were playing an eleven a side game the other day, and um, we were beating this team who they all turned up, and we are we were a mixed group of ages. They were all yeah, They were all really, you know, early twenties, and I think they thought they were going to absolutely hammer us. And um, late in the second half, we were kind of three goal, you know, four one. I think we were winning, and um, this these two guys started have in the same team, the opposition started having an argument, and they they said, "How are we losing to a team that's got that guy playing fullback?" And I looked around <laughs> and I thought, "Wait a minute." I'm the, is that, they're, they're is that you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's brilliant. You know, and uh, you're probably me. My head still thinks I can do it all. Yeah. But my legs, my legs tell me I can't. You know, and uh, I, I thought I was having a good game by that point. <laughs> yeah, but isn't that brilliant? You know, like yeah. uh, when the young guys think that, you know, that come on, surely we we've got to be. Yeah. This guy, this guy's uh, should have retired uh, twenty years ago. Oh, I love! Don't you love the banter though? I, I just oh, love God. it. You know the kind of um, the good nature. I hope it's good. I'm sure it is for me anyway. But the good natured abuse that you get often, a game will start and someone will be saying, "How old are you? You're about 60. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. Really? Well, we've got a, a WhatsApp group uh, that all of the the guys that play, uh, you know, are, are part of, and just some of the. Uh, the banter, you know, and that WhatsApp group is just fantastic, you know, and yeah. uh, I say that again, you know, it's, uh, it keeps you grounded as well, you know, and uh, it's a level, isn't it, football, you know, because mm-hmm. no matter, you know, what kind of day you've had or no matter maybe what's in your head about the business, yeah. you know, and about uh, your plans, uh, when you get onto the pitch, that's the only thing that matters at that point, you know, and uh, the only thing yeah. that I'm bothered about when we play five-a-sides is, is my performance at five-a-sides, yeah. you know, and uh, yeah. everything else is of secondary importance. I completely... You know what? It's... the In the last few years, understanding what mindfulness is, and um, there's this monk uh, on TikTok, and he says, actually, gamers really understand mindfulness because they're totally in the present when they're gaming. They're not thinking about the past or the future. And as a kind of overthinker, it hit me, that's football for me. You know, for that 90 minutes or however long it is playing five a side, I'm not thinking about anything else other than, you know, the the, the process of playing. It, and that's total yeah. mindfulness. So, yeah, exactly. You're in the moment, aren't you? You know, yeah. you know uh, what happens tomorrow is of no consequence, really, uh, when you're, you're playing football, you know, and it's... Uh, I know there'll be some people listening who... Football is of no interest to them, but they'll have their version of it. Yeah, you know, everyone's Absolutely. got their their passion, you know. And uh, it's been my passion since I was 
knee high, you know, and uh, I don't think it'll ever change, you know, and uh, let's let's make sure it doesn't. And aren't you a, you a ball playing centre half? Are you, or what? What's your position? I was, uh, you know, a very much any uh, uh, a midfielder type when I was oh, younger. Oh, you nice. Know, box to box and midfielder, yeah. but uh, I've gradually got further back. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, I still like uh, like you know to to dictate the pace of the game, you know, and get your foot on the ball and. Uh, score the odd goal or two, uh, albeit, you know, I don't, I don't have that pace that sometimes you need uh, any longer than you to be a striker. Uh, and the longer the game goes on, everyone says this to me, you know, that the last five minutes of the game, they're all steering clear of me because I'm so tired at that point that I'm fouling everyone. Loose and, challenges, know, yeah. Grappling, you know, and uh, <laughs> yeah, loose challenges is a polite way to put it. Who's, who's your favourite player of all time? My my hero was always Kenny Dalglish, uh, you know, uh, always you know from a, a Celtic and a Scotland perspective, you know, uh, Dalglish was was the finest Scottish player ever uh, for me, you know, and uh, probably I know it will be controversial for some of our friends south of the border, uh, but I think uh, Dalglish is the finest British player ever, uh, never mind Scottish, you know, and. Uh, uh, you know, he was an iconic individual, you know, at Celtic. He also went on to greater things at Liverpool, you know, and, uh, you know, had a much uh, more stellar career uh, at Liverpool. But as a kid growing up in the, in the mid-70s, you know, Douglas as a, as a Celtic player was just, uh, was a king, you know, when the King Kenny started in Glasgow and not in Liverpool. I love it. Uh, John, we could talk, I could carry on, we could turn this into a football podcast. <laughs> I know, that's, that's, that's the trouble, you know, and with that, I'd actually be more passionate about football than about BPO, <laughs> yeah. but uh, I have to find that balance. Yeah, and my memory, I can remember passes that either I've made or watched on TV for 20 years ago, but I can't remember where I put my keys five minutes ago. So. <laughs> yeah, I, I do remember the best ever goal I scored, you know. And I, I oh, tell me about it. I frequently uh, recount it. Oh, it was a typical drop volley, you know, from 35 yards, it, it hits the stanchion in the back of the, the goals, you know, and uh, everyone just turns around about saying, you know, you'd be as well going off now because you'll never repeat yes. that. <laughs> Is it the kind of one where as soon as you hit it, you knew? Oh, yeah, yeah, as soon as you connect, yeah. it comes out of out of the sun almost, you know, mm. you connect with it and it's just, you know, like bullet in there, you know, no one's got a chance and uh, you, that, that probably, you, you can never uh, beat those moments, you know, and uh, but now uh, I get equally as excited about a good tackle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we are very much kindred spirits. That's a great place to end. John Devlin, thanks very much for uh, coming on. We we'll definitely have to do it. And let's just completely talk about football the next time. <laughs> yeah, and let's organise a game. I know we've suggested we should organise yes. a game uh, between our, uh, our competing sides, but I'd love to do that. Yeah, definitely. A home and away fixture, like the old um, England v Scotland games. Oh, the old Anglo-Scottish uh, games. I like, let's do that. You know, those were those were great, those pre-season games. Yeah, lovely. Thanks very much for coming on again, mate. All right, Martin. Thanks. See you later.